Oh, no. That had never happened Second before. Second time's a charm. Second time's a charm. Start it now. Start well, it has started. Welcome to another episode <laughs> of the Chief Talks Podcast. Here, live from the St. Joseph Chapel in Miami Catholic Newman Center. And we have a couple awesome guests today. Sam Deary, if you remember him from Getting Jacked. And uh, Paul, his younger brother, who is more jacked than Sam. And so... Welcome, Paul. Yeah, welcome to Paul. this is true. Uh, who also looks like Hugh Jackman, and so, yeah, that's that, <laughs> that's his celebrity lookalike. Father Jacob, do you have any celebrity lookalikes? Hmm, I don't think so. I'd like to, uh, well, to back up a little bit. Yeah, Father Earl, who's now going to be a bishop, bishop elect, mm. Father Bishop, whatever, however you say, it, Bishop elect Earl Fernandez, who's going to be the new bishop of Columbus, Ohio. We're stoked for that. He uh, was with me in seminary, and the first time he had to leave seminary, he went to work at the Nunciature in Washington, D.C., and he gave me this statue of St. Francis Xavier, because it looked like me, he thought. Yeah. He's like, I want you to be a great missionary, take this statue, it's got a red beard, red hair, and yeah, so nice. hopefully I look like a saint, I don't know. You know, we should stop doing celebrity lookalikes and start doing saint lookalikes. There we go. Talk about inspiring people. How about... It'd be better if we had Saint Actalikes than just Saint Lookalikes. <laughs> mm. Oh, let's be doers of the word, not just hearers. Mm. Yeah, Saint Actalikes. I don't know. <laughs> you, you might need a better name, but I could see something there. And when we had a talk on Saints last night at the Newman Center, and I just thought of when Father said, instead of Michael Jordan posters, we need to have Saint posters. Me and Sam want to start a business idea where you have Jim Chapel Library on a shirt, and you got to hit those every day. And I think we should start a Catholic Saints posters business. I think it would blow up. That's, that's a great idea. Yeah. I think there are a lot of different images. we got Jesus right here as our best poster. That's a good idea. It can be part of our Jim Chapel Library. Uh, mm. uh, brand. Yeah, part of our brand. Yeah, we should. Somebody definitely should start that company. Okay, you hear it here first. Uh, yeah, so well, what are we going to talk about today? We're talking about the letter from King Louis IX to his son, and it's a really cool letter. It's pretty short, and there's just some uh, pearls of wisdom in this one today, and it can really help us, especially as college uh, men and women, to just live holy, virtuous lives starting in college. And so we're going to dive into that, but just before we get started, Father Jacob, could you lead us in opening prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We thank you for those saints who have gone before us, who, uh, yeah, we could just come to know uh, their advice and be inspired by their lives. And may we just know their intercession today, that they walk with us ever there to cheer us on in this life of holiness and to learn from their wisdom, that we could come to know you, uh, wisdom incarnate Lord Jesus, evermore each day. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Um, well, yeah, I'm just going to read the opening paragraph of this, and then we can just go from there. But I love this letter because 
I love, first of all, viewing my relationship with God a lot of like as a father-son relationship, especially the Heavenly Father, and meditating on that relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And so King Louis IX, he starts off this letter by saying, Dear Son, since I desire with all my heart that you be well instructed in all things, it is my thought to give you some advice this writing. For I have heard you say several times that you remember my words better than those of anyone else. And I think that's a cool opening paragraph because I don't know about you guys, but I tend to remember my dad's words more than anyone else a lot of times. And I remember one specific moment. I was uh, about 11 or 12 years old, and my dad's a book salesman. And so sometimes he goes on these conferences where you got to drive five hours away. And so we got up at like 5 a.m., and he, he brought me along this Saturday morning. And I hadn't had any food. I got little sleep, and I was so just like groggy. It was cold outside. You can imagine me, just 11 years old, just not wanting to talk at all. And my dad, just this upbeat, positive personalities looking at me like making jokes and I'm not saying a word he just looks at me and he says this is a taste of the real world son <laughs> and I'll always remember that and uh really helped me grow up from a young age and so yeah and then we got McDonald's and it was great from there but I don't know if any of you guys have uh any moments with your dad where he said something and really stuck with you not really as much. I know that you're super big into the one-liners and you love it when somebody says something that you can just live your entire life by. <laughs> that is so but true. my dad's more of a soft-spoken guy, very much more of a live-by-example. I just have grown up and I, I see his work ethic within me, even though he's never been like, you got to work hard because of this, you got to work hard because of that. It's just day in and day out. I've seen my dad providing for our family. And I have been thinking about that too, about the father and son relationship that we have with God. And I'm still trying to work on why us, and that's a different question entirely, but the fact is we have God as our father, God created us. And when you think of that in a way, this desire that we have to have children, and once we have children, I can only imagine the amount of love that you would have for somebody that you created in a sense, somebody that you played a role in creating with God. Uh, but, and, and to also think about the love that comes from that and the love that you would have for your son and also the infinite love. Everybody just wants to love and to be loved by somebody. And it's so hard to connect with that with God who like you can't see or you can't feel. But just the infinite love from our creator is insane i don't know mm. i was just thinking about that recently no that's so that's so true and i was talking to brett smith who is a entrepreneurship department professor here and he was telling me that when he became a father it changed his entire life in terms of his faith because he realized for the first time that here is his son and he would do anything for his son and it wasn't until he had one himself that he realized this is how god views me and the infinite love he has for me. He counts the hair in our heads, and how could he not have this infinite love for us? So, Right. And it's one of those feelings that you hear over and over again, the love for your son, how the day your son was born, how much it changed your life. And it's sort of like the way I, I was talking about with Pierre Giorgio and the love that he had for the poor. I just don't understand that the way I know that it can be understood. I can't feel it the way that I know it can be felt. And something with God's 
I think God's love is so much like that. The more that we come to know God, the more that we allowed God into our lives, the more that we allowed God to love us, and the more time that we spend in prayer and relationship with God, it's just going to be these overwhelming feelings of joy that you can't explain to anybody. And you can say to Jesus is my fulfillment. Jesus did this for me. Jesus did that for me. And you just can't understand the way people feel. You can't understand what's inside their heart. So when I hear something over and over and over again, I like to think about it or to try it out because I want to feel. If everyone's saying this, there must be something big there. I want to feel what they're feeling. Mm. I think that leads really well into his next paragraph. Honestly, he says, Therefore, dear son, the first thing I advise you is that you fix your whole heart upon God and love him with all your strength. For without this, no one can be saved or be of any worth. And again, this kind of, as cradle Catholics, that sounds kind of basic advice. But how many people actually live it? Are actually living that, have God at the center of their life and make that number one priority? And clearly King Louis IX is... And it is a reflection of Jesus says, what is the great commandment? To love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength and soul. I think I missed one of those. but uh, And then second, to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, yeah, so again, King Louis IX, just having his priorities in order here is pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. And another thing I think is great about having a chaplain with us is here we have a man who has obviously given his entire life to God, that the only thing that he spends all of his time on are things relating to the church and to our chapel and to our community. Was there a point in your life, Father, where you could sort of realized a significant change? I don't know if there was a threshold there, if it was just like a continuous uh, change and a continuous growth where... I don't know, like your perspective on life changed. There sure. was just like a feeling that you got when sure. you just really started giving your life to God and really started giving your life to others. Right. No, great question. Um, I guess I specifically remember being inspired by other guys in seminary. When I went to seminary, I was definitely, my first year was super, uh, really still discerning. I kind of didn't want to be there, but it was on my heart so strongly. I was like, I got to try this out. And I remember, you know, just making uh, a joke you know, about something that I probably shouldn't have uh, on the football field with the guys who were playing ultimate frisbee or something. And nobody laughed. And that was just a great moment for me to realize, like, these guys are actually pursuing holiness in a big way. And I was inspired in that moment, actually, which is wild because it was just like something that I said that I shouldn't have and no one laughed. And I'm like, this is actually, these guys are different than my old friends, even though other friends are great. But there was a great maturity there. And I realized that these guys were living for more. So that was part of it. But then secondly, like fast forwarding ahead, uh, you know, I became a priest. Um, and really, though, when I arrived here at Miami, uh, that was another big step of like realizing what it was like to be a father. Because I realized now, whether as before my first assignment, I was just an associate, you know, or they say parochial vicar, like helping out. Uh, basically when I'm here now, I'm not a pastor, but I am the chaplain of the students here. And so I felt very much more responsible. Like everything that I do should be directed to God on behalf of these students. So I felt more, much more like a father, like I'm actually responsible for these souls. So like, how can my entire life, you know, even just when I'm just brushing my teeth or, you know, doing work, how can I do my very best to make that a prayer and sacrifice for the students and it's just very exciting it gives your life this profound meaning of 
yeah, uh, even more so, I think, stepping into it. Surely as a priest, I mean, that's your life, right? Lay down for the people. Uh, but yeah, it was just in a new way, being here now and like, yeah, meeting students or realizing now, even when I'm like laying in bed at night and like the music is pumping across the street at the big bar at Brick Street, right? And I'm thinking like, those are my kids, you know? So like, how am I praying for them? How, uh, the, just the great love is there. So uh, it's, it's so great because it gives our lives such great meaning. And so we realize a deeper meaning of our lives, uh, yeah, in our call, in our vocation. And so it kind of definitely got stepped up when I moved here. Uh, so that was a huge blessing. So, yeah, thanks for asking. That was, yeah. I kind of have a follow-up question to that. <clears throat> How do you deal with then uh, your own imperfections? Because clearly you said as a father of all of us here at the Newman Center, we look up to you. It's almost like as a priest you're always being watched, whatever you're doing. And that can that is a lot of responsibility to hold every day. How do you deal with that if you do have any shortcomings? How do you uh, work through that and try not to be scrupulous? I know you say you try to make a prayer out of everything you do, but um, I know that can come with maybe it's God's grace. But, um, yeah, how do, you, how do you work through that? Sure. Yeah, great question. Certainly <laughs> your uh, mistakes become magnified the more you're in a leadership position too. So just realizing that. Um, and so that's part of it, just uh, not getting frustrated with yourself, uh, continually realizing what you need to work on and being intentional, but then also realizing that you need to, because your uh, actions or whatever uh, are more visible to people, um, to live that way, to realize people actually do look up to you, uh, but then also realizing you need to be like apologizing more to people like as quickly as possible or like publicly like say, hey, I'm imperfect, you know, here's my mistakes. Uh, here's where I need to grow in humility um, because people can learn from that. Um, yeah, and so just being patient with yourself, not getting super frustrated when I do mess up, uh, asking for people's mercy and the Lord's, of course, too. But yeah, just uh, just being that witness to, the first witness to forgiveness, I think, because really our world needs forgiveness, our world needs mercy. And so I just have to be the first one to show that, like, hey, I need it also. So... That's something I'm working on, but yeah, I think definitely when you see someone, um, yeah, who you might think has it together at times, which I certainly don't have it all together, but uh, it's always refreshing to realize like they are human too, and so they need forgiveness, they need patience, and just to be the one to ask for that, uh, because yeah, I was always inspired by people who are humble, so I'm always trying to learn that, like how do I realize, you know, emulate these people who realize that they're not perfect, realize that they totally rely on God. And that's what it comes down to in the end, right? That we totally rely on God. And so I need to be uh, that witness and uh, just to be totally open about it, right? Not to ignore my problems. <laughs> we know that always becomes problematic. Mm. Our people, it's just easy to become prideful. Um, so certainly I don't live all this perfectly, but yeah, it's something to strive for in leadership. Um, yeah. That's really good. Our problem, I heard once, our problems don't go away when we become Christians, but Christianity changes how we solve them. And King Louis the Ninth actually has a paragraph here on adversity I'd love to read mm -hmm. and how to deal with problems. He says, If our Lord send you any adversity, thank him for it. You should receive it in good patience and be thankful for it, for you ought to believe that he will cause everything to turn out for your good. Mm -hmm. And likewise, you should think that you have well merited it, and more also should he will it, because you have loved him but little and served him but little, and have done many things contrary to his will. 
so I think this kind of gets to the Catholic understanding of God's providence and how everything is in God's will. There are no coincidences in life that every single thing has happened because God has willed it in some way or another. There's two different types of God's will, his permissive will, and then what's the other one, Father? Do you know? I forget the term. Okay. Some it's 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 like primary will or the will that he wants and the will that he allows. Right? Yes. So, so permissive is the second one. So sometimes suffering happens in life and it's not it seems like why would God allow this suffering? But he's allowing it in his permissive will in order to bring out the greatest good. I think the best example of this is Jesus dying on the cross and allowing this suffering us to crucify his son on the cross in order to bring about redemption for the entire world. But how do we do this in our daily lives as college students? How do we see adversity? Do we see it as King Louis IX sees it? Do we thank God for it? Do we receive it in good patience? And do we really believe that it will all turn out for our our good? Yeah, it's so hard to, because it's one thing to say like, oh, if something bad happens, you know, the Lord will turn it to the good. But to realize too that he could actually use our weaknesses. You know, St. Paul talks about, you know, our weaknesses can really be our strengths Here, here's i want to see what you guys think of this so this is where my mind has been lately just being able to align yourself perfectly with how god wanted you to live and when you do that i've experienced you feel happier and you see it says here god rewards you through your adversity partly of how you take on your adversity whether that is little things or big things like you want to be gluttonous but you choose to eat the right things so you eat the right things and you go out and you take care of yourself and you love the people around you and you spend time in prayer and you spend time in worship and you do all of these things and you feel so much better and you go out and you you are more aligned with how i think you were created to live with this sort of natural nature and the spiritual nature that god gave you so and, and then you do that and everything seems to be good but there's always going to be people who do evil And so I sort of feel like those are the types of people that can kind of mess with your peace and with your joy out of no fault of your own. Something that I haven't thought about as much is God wanting you to go through these sufferings. Like St. Paul, like he asked God to take it away. He's like, take away the thorn aside. Three times, was it? Take away the thorn aside, like three times. And he said, no. And I don't remember exactly. You say, like, I'm going to bring you to perfection through this suffering or something. What was that exactly? I don't remember, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he... Sure. And he had many dangers, I mean, throughout... There's this, like, almost like he's glorying about all these dangers he went through. Shipwrecked, sleepless nights, stoned, all these things. Yeah, so a ton of sufferings. Yeah. And it seems strange because it feels like if we were living the way and everybody was living the way that God wanted us to live then there would be no need for suffering. Because it doesn't seem that suffering is from God in a way. What do you think of that? That suffering is suffering, the origin of suffering, is it from God? Hmm. Wow, tough question. We could probably have a whole podcast on that. We but yeah, great point, great point. Suffering. So uh, it's beautiful, speaking of St. Paul, you're talking about him as he says... Uh, with his sufferings, he makes up what is lacking in the cross, mm-hmm. right? And so certainly Jesus doesn't want us to uh, 
yeah, Jesus didn't create suffering, you know, as part of evil uh, in the world, but exactly what we're talking about, that God turns all things to the good for those that love the Lord. So he'll use these things to help us to grow in virtue if we let him, right? And so that goes back to Romans 8.28, which I was thinking about when Johnny read this, you know, God turns all things to the good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so, yeah, whether it's just something physically that happens to us or even spiritually, you know, that we could really make uh, a total turnaround in our lives, uh, maybe when we've committed some evil or something's happened to us. You know, sometimes you meet people who've had cancer and they're like, actually, uh, it was super tough at the time, but it has helped me become a better person. Or really, uh, now I realize the importance of spirituality in my life, these kind of things. Or I think of some of the saints, uh, I think particularly of um, Serenelli, right? This guy who uh, committed a great sin against St. Maria Goretti, right? You know, that he was, uh, yeah, was going to rape her basically, right? And he stabbed her and all this, and she did not give in. She, yeah, uh, yeah, continued to live this this holiness in the midst of this horrible time. And so she died as a martyr because of that. And this man, Serenelli at the time, uh, certainly, you know, had some major issues, but he goes to prison. And eventually, though, he really turns his life uh, back to the Lord. And so certainly that is a horrible evil, right? What he did to Maria Gretti, we never glorify that. But to realize that uh, through all this and through her praying for him, that the Lord uh, turned that to the good, turned that to the good. So we can never like yeah, thank God for uh, the sin as being something good, but rather that like the Lord used uh, her graces and prayers through that to bring him through this. Um, yeah, and so when people say no regrets, uh, I kind of struggle with that because I think we could definitely regret sin in our lives, times we've turned from the Lord. But the fact is that God can even use these things at times to turn us back to him. And that's like the term we use sometimes, the scandal of the cross. You know, the scandal of the cross, like the worst death ever. You know, how could we even celebrate this? But realize because it's our redemption is through that. So kind of a radical example. I don't know if that made sense, but. No, it does. Yeah. There's another great example that, Sam, you were we were talking about this the other day in the car. Joseph in the Old Testament. <laughs> I, I love this story, so I'll tell it. <laughs> we have Joseph in the Old Testament, son of Jacob, son of Israel. His favorite son. That's right, isn't it? That's right. Okay. <laughs> His favorite son, and he loved him so much. He had 12 sons, and all the other sons were jealous of Joseph. So just out of nothing wrong with Joseph, totally out of the evil of his brothers, he gets sent out of sort of this high position into slavery. And what does he do in slavery? He crushes it. He gives everything that he has in slavery. And he works his way up through the ranks, and he's basically, now he's more of a servant. He's... He's a highly renowned slave, essentially, with this guy who's one of the most powerful people in the kingdom named Portifar. And his wife was attracted to Joseph and made moves on Joseph. And when Joseph wouldn't do anything with Portifar's wife, his wife went to Portifar and said, Joseph was making moves on me, essentially. So Portifar sends Joseph into prison. Mm-hmm. So this is even lower than slavery. Mm-hmm. So he worked super hard in this place where really evil people, people who were acting very evil, sent him into slavery, into this low spot. He worked super hard his way up, and then he gets sent even lower than was where he was before. And what does he do in prison? He crushes it. And he's still there for people, and he's still loving, and he listens to people's 
dreams and he helps them through that and then he gets sent to the second after crushing it in prison he goes up and becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt just behind the Pharaoh Mm -hmm. so I think it's a good example of regardless of where you are in life you really cannot you can't do anything about people being evil to you so the only thing that you can do is trust in God and I think that the big thing here it it's still a mystery to me and something I want to think about more how much God does like to use our sufferings to grow in relationship with him. He, he really does, like you said, the suffering's not from God, but he really uses it. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's different there is when we think of suffering is the hope. Mm-hmm. So that regardless of where you are, you have hope in God's love and you have hope in God's mercy and you, you work to stay in relationship with God and to do the best regardless of where you are and regardless of the evil that others did to you. Yeah. And the the line I'm trying to find is Joseph at the end, his brothers all feel so guilty for, for turning him in. But he looks at them and he says, do not like, do not apologize for what you intended evil. God intended for good. Mm. And he, Amen. he thanks God for sending him into slavery and into prison because he was able to see God's divine providence throughout the whole thing. And so what King Louis the ninth says, thank him for your adversity. But how, and I was reading uh, St. Claude de Colombier who said that if Joseph, when he was sent to slavery, when he was sent to prison, thought, who is this God that would send me, a righteous man, to slavery? Woe is me for yeah. what's happening to me in my life. He would have never been able to see the divine plan God had to make him second most powerful man in Egypt and to be the savior of everyone in Egypt at the time because or else the world would have died of famine. But because he was willing to see God's providence throughout all his adversity and thank God throughout those years, he was able to come out the other side and God could then have glory because of this. Amen. No, it's so good. Yeah, you see how Joseph goes on, of course, not only to save his family then, but yeah, all the the people of all nations around there. Um, But yeah, going back to the letter from King Louis the Ninth, so it's beautiful, right? So there's that paragraph about if the Lord sends us adversity, thank him for it. And then we kind of already spoke about this, but if the Lord sends you any prosperity, right? So it's if you got, you know, health or body, he mentions or other things, thank him humbly for it, right? So in all these cases, realizing everything comes from the Lord, whether good or ill, you know, everything under the sun, that God is providing. And then it's beautiful, if I could uh, continue on, but uh, then he goes to just the humility, right? Realizing our need for frequent confession, you know, like a good father. I just hear my father's own. <laughs> Maybe you're like a good so father true. speaking that, um, going to monthly confession or whatever. But then it's beautiful too. I love this line. He goes on to speak about good friends and basically how good friends keep us accountable. And he basically says, pick good friends uh, who may dare confidently to reprove you and show you your faults. Wow, and I think how many times in my own life do I have, yeah, people in my life who will be honest with me, you know, as they, uh, who will lead me onto that virtue, will actually call me out for things. In our culture, it's so uh, into not offending people or just accepting people where they're at and all that, and some of that's okay, but to realize, man, a true friend is one who's gonna call us out and say, yeah, repute, re- repuve us, Reprove us. I can't say that either. <laughs> but yeah, call us out and say, hey, you know, you need to grow in this area or why are you doing that or this? 
And so having those good friends, or he mentions a good confessor too, who will call us out. Because that's how we grow, right? Like any good coach, you know, if you have a good coach who always just says good job, that's never going to make you a great athlete. But you need to have someone who's actually going to like tweak things, someone who's going to help you to grow. Um, Yeah, but I think that was very powerful, having those good friends who will challenge us, of course, build us up, but yeah, reprove us at times so that we could see our own faults, which we often can't see. At least I know I can't, so. Yeah, that's that's a really good point because I was listening to uh, the Duck Dynasty uh, guy. Nice. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> not not uh, the uncle, the grandpa. Uh, Phil. 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 Legend. Phil Robertson. He was saying how our culture today, and especially on campus, it's you you reprove someone and it's attack against them, their identity, and it's like you fall apart inside. And he's like, what What happened to the time when we could disagree with each other and still like and call each other higher? And But how can we get back to the place where we are? And uh, I heard once it's like, you're not looking at them as an enemy, but you're admonishing them more as a brother. And so how can you help your brothers and sisters grow while still them knowing that you have their best interests in mind and that you care? I think in this 2022, people, especially in our generation, need to know that you care when you call them out, or else they're just gonna think that you're just some some guy that's that's high and mighty, whatever. I I think it's really cool that you said that, because for me, it's sort of looking a little bit down the road. I feel like I'm in a spot right now, and I think a lot of people are, where you also just have to firstly have the humility necessary for that within yourself to realize that this is another term you hear all the time don't compare yourself to others like don't compare your righteousness to other people because no matter what I have fallen short of what God has made me to be Mm -hmm. and so for me it's just like making sure that when you go do something it's not to show everybody how great you are like this is a serious thing that you hear all the time and I'm finally just starting to understand that is not to show other people what you can do because it's not me. It it doesn't matter if I'm really better than anybody else mm-hmm. because what I'm striving for is relationship with Christ, perfection, mm-hmm. and to the best of my ability. So if I fall in that, it's against God, not against people. Who It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what they think. My worth, it just really doesn't... It sounds so cliche saying it, but seriously, it's like your worth is truly... In the one who gave you everything that you are and everything that you're supposed to be. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think going along with that too, yeah, just realizing we're calling people out. Um, it's uh, It should be out of love, but yeah, also out of pity at times, right? So um, not to say we're better than them, but the, uh, the king here says to his son, have a tender, pitiful heart for the poor and for all those whom you believe to be in misery of heart or body, right? It's so beautiful. So we realize sometimes when people are going through a tough time in life, maybe they're not physically poor, but those that we, basically our heart should go out to them. That's why we should be doing this, right? Because we have this love for them uh, and not for some self-righteous thing or like, hey, you should be like me. Sometimes we totally don't fully understand these people. So like empathy is very important um, with friends, but also, yeah, of course, the king being very well-to-do. Also, I'm sure he has. Uh, he mentions giving alms to the poor and caring for the poor. But I think often in our in our lives, it's poor in spirit or yeah, sharing things out of love. Uh, and it can be because of 
where their heart is or something like that. Not just physically poor, but um, anyways, we could get into a lot of different topics, but I just thought I'd tie that in because uh, I think it's beautiful when he speaks to the poor. He, he says those who are in misery of heart also. Um, and certainly like realizing we don't have it totally together either, right? No, um, but yeah, our call to uh, to help people along at times or help our brothers and sisters, yeah. I think that's really good because I think when people see Catholic, they see whatever their image of is and they fail to see the fullness of truth of Jesus. And Jesus was this man who, yes, he was strong, he was holy, but he had a tender heart as well. And King Louis saying, have a tender, pitiful heart for the poor. It seems like it would be a sign of weakness uh, to, as a, if we're talking about like the ideal man, uh, someone who has that. But that's actually like one of the great strengths of being an upright man is having that tender heart. And it's something I'm working on as well, just because, uh, yeah, who is the poor? We're all poor in a lot of ways and uh, in different ways. And how can we, like, the the tender look of Christ, you see it in the Passion of the Christ uh, in a lot of ways when he looks at uh, the, the good thief on the cross. And it, it's just, how, how can we continue to grow in that tenderness, which is uh, often seen as a weakness in terms of, like, toxic if you toxic masculinity or whatever our culture we're talking a lot about like where our culture is at right now but yeah i think that's a common misconception of of a strong catholic man having that trait yeah i think it's so good too obviously realizing that he is a leader and the leader of the entire country he realizes of course the example that he wants to instill on his son so he begins with that charity right that we all need but then the following paragraph or two goes on. He says, love all good and hate all evil in whomsoever it may be. And it's very powerful that he basically goes on the next paragraph or two. Um, so to, to basically call out those who misspeak before him. You know, if they are um, using any uh, impure speech, especially speaking against God or the saints he speaks about. You know, to call these people out and just to speak what is true. And so in that sense, especially being a leader, being a king, him needing to do this or sharing this with his son, then in those things, we cannot just sit back uh, because, you know, his silence then as a king would be approving these things that are said in some sense, right? And so as a leader, he's telling his son, like, when you see this evil going on, be on the offense, right? <laughs> you got to go right after it mm. and uh, not just playing nice or not just playing defense, but realizing yeah, just the power of his presence and his words. And I think, too, his men being called the leaders. So it's good to think about in our own lives. I know in seminary one time, I just think of one example. I was just with two guys. We were watching college football. And one guy, uh, I forget exactly what he said. I think he threw in, like, God's name or something. And the other seminarian, I was very impressed. He was actually, like, a, a younger guy. But he called out the other, the older one who was, like, a class or two ahead of him. And he said, yeah, don't take the, Nord the Lord's name in vain. And uh, he did it in a very direct way, but also a way that was just loving. And it was beautiful because the guy who said it, he's like, oh, yeah, thanks for saying that. You're right. You know, and so, uh, but I think we're so afraid to call people out at times. Uh, and certainly there's many ways to do it. But I, I think St. Louis is just great about realizing he's a leader and he has to be bold because so many things are just uh, thrown at us in conversation. And so he really uh, encouraged his son in multiple ways. You know, when there's a conversation before you going on, to just not let uh, whatever it is, the gossip or uh, 
yeah, speaking ill of God or the saints happen before you. Mm. Yeah, he says, uh, he talks about that a little bit about gossip. And he says, let no one be so bold as to say in your presence words which attract and lead to sin. And do not permit words of detraction to be spoken of another behind his back. So another trait of how we can be strong is standing up for people when most people are gossiping. And yeah, that's a just as a man personally, that's I've seen that being done. And it's when you know someone is confident enough, and it's it's not only confident in themselves, but confident in God, and that they're willing to stand up. I just don't see it very often today. And so, if we could live that way, it's even more um, magnified when we start to live that way. No, it's so true. I think of even my own life earlier this week. I kind of called out someone for something, but then the conversation continued on, and uh, I kind of just left. <laughs> I could have <laughs> challenged them, used an opportunity to teach, but uh, yeah, always working on it. But it's a great reminder because, yeah, we don't normally see that in our culture for sure, I don't think. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, and this is interesting. Uh, dear son, I always advise you to be devoted to the Church of Rome and to the sovereign pontiff, our father, and to bear him the reverence and honor which you owe to your own spiritual father. So just the Church of Rome, I think about that because as Roman Catholics, you know, we don't really talk about that a lot, but we have a structure in place, and we need to be praying for our bishops and Holy Father every day, and that's uh, King Louis IX thought it important enough to emphasize in his letter, and so I think it's something to take seriously. Yeah, definitely. You could definitely think, too, of him being a king, right? So uh, maybe some would even consider him almost equal at times, you know, as kingdoms and all that. So uh, it's a good reminder of his humility, too. Yeah, I wish Mike, Michael had to run out earlier, but he knows a lot of the history of King Louis the Ninth, so he probably could have commented a little bit on that more. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. Is there anything else, any other thoughts on this letter in particular you thought to mention, Father Jacob? What I love is towards the end, um, King Louis asks his son basically to pray for him. He's like, basically, uh, well, to back up, yeah, he says, asks him to pray for him, and particularly when he dies. And he says, you know, pray for me by having masses offered, your prayers, and then even good works to pray for me. So just showing the reality of the spiritual life and realizing the uh, King Louis showing um, how he realizes he's responsible for so much being in charge of a kingdom and realizes that he certainly hasn't done a perfect job, even though obviously he's a saint, so a very holy man. And so having the humility to ask for his son's prayers and the power also then of the sacraments, right? Having masses offered uh, to pray for him and uh, to pray for his soul. Uh, I think it's just a great reminder for us in so many ways to pray for our family members who have passed, uh, but also, yeah, to not be afraid to ask us. None of us is beyond asking others to pray for us. Um, but yeah, the reality of those two who have gone on before us and our need for God's mercy in all of our lives. It's really good, and it's really good, too, as the Catholic understanding of death and that we we don't, unless they're a canonized saint, you hear a lot of people say, Protestants maybe, uh, oh, yeah, Grandpa, you know, I'm praying to him. He's in heaven. I know it. Like, I know it, you know, and, and it's like, do you know it? Like, do you know it? Uh, and my dad, he always said when I was a kid, he was like, 
hey, when I die, I want you to pray for me every day for the rest of your life. Like the Catholic understanding is that you could be, in, they could be in purgatory. They could be needing that prayers to get to heaven. And that's something that we need to always do is, is pray for the dead. And I love that you mentioned that father because King Louis the ninth, uh, this, this saint even emphasized it enough. So, yeah, yeah, it's definitely, I think a responsibility of us, uh, to pray for those praise for those who are dead. But finally, though, I do have to say the conclusion um, is he gives his fatherly blessing, which I think is just so good to remember as a father, right, to, to bless their children. Certainly their uh, fathers are able to bless their children. Normally blessings are left for priests, um, but a father is able to bless his children. And so, yeah, if anyone was a father there or his future fathers or, um, yeah, just knowing that there's a great blessing in that, uh, just, yeah, showing your... Uh, God's intercession is kind of being the priest of the family to bless your children um, or yeah, grandchildren, whoever it may be. Uh, very powerful too, just to, the idea of prayer and yeah, invoking Heavenly Father's blessing. So beautiful thing. That is actually, uh, well, first I want to get Paul's thoughts. He's been quiet this whole time. Sam's younger brother, final word for Paul. And then I would ask Father Jacob, if you could honestly give us King Louis IX's blessing, that would be really cool. Uh, the final paragraph. But yeah, Paul, final word. What stuck out to you to most in this podcast? Yeah, I would probably just say, going all the way back to the beginning, when you guys were talking about like your father having this profound like influence on you, that kind of sticks out to me to think, you know, as we get older and we start to have our own kids and stuff, the responsibility that you have because you have that influence on them now. And I just think that's a really cool and a beautiful thing a relationship that you can have both with your father and with your children. So I really like that about the the father-son, father-daughter relationship that we have both with our kids and our parents and also with God. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, thanks, Paul. It's great. Thanks. Good. So maybe we'll close it out with this blessing here. Uh, it's I'll read it, and then I'll just give you a short blessing at the end because this is kind of yeah him just invoking a general blessing on his son. So he says, in conclusion, dear son, I give you all the blessings which a good and tender father can give to a son. And I pray our Lord Jesus Christ, by his mercy, by the prayers and merits of his blessed mother, the Virgin Mary, and of all and of angels and archangels, and of all the saints to guard and protect you from doing anything contrary to his will, and to give you grace to do it always, so that he may be honored and served by you. And this may he do to me as to you by his great bounty, so that after this mortal life we may be able to be together with him in the eternal life, and see him, love him, and praise him without end. Amen. And glory, honor, and praise be to him who is one God, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, without beginning and without end. Amen. May Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Another Sheepdogs episode in the books. Make sure to give us that rating if you're still listening. Uh, we love you guys, listeners. We love you sheepdogs out there. And keep chiming in. Keep tuning in. We love you guys. Take care. Everyone, sheepdogs, out. out. <laughs> Thanks, Sam and Paul. Sheepdogs yeah. out. Thanks, Sam Paul.